0: Our New Testament reading this morning is from Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In the Old Testament we're reading from Ruth 1, 1-14. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites and from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Mahlon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And she rose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they had grown? Would you refrain therefore from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother in law, but Ruth clung to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank
1: you, Terry. Uh, Well, this week we begin a brand new series on the book of Ruth, a book that uh, might be very familiar to you if you've ever grown up in the church, and if you haven't heard the story of Ruth, don't worry. Um, We hope that this time will be instructive for you, and we hope that you'll fall in love with it, just as Christians of every generation have. Like all great stories, uh, Ruth is a book of the Bible uh, that has rich characters with details, with the paths that they take with, with nuances in who they are. Um, and like all great stories, Ruth is a book that gets a lot of people riled up. Why is that? R- Ruth in many ways is very polarizing because of the way it's interpreted. Uh, people who are trying to understand its main themes are asking really good questions. Is, is this a book about the complex topics of food deprivation? Is this a book that talks about immigration and refugees? This is the book that talks about the roles of women in society, uh, interracial marriage, societal order, wealth, friendships, loyalty, religious laws. Is it none of those things? And if so, why does the author of Ruth go and include in painstaking detail about these things? You see, the complexity of Ruth is what makes it such a great story. But you have to keep in mind one thing. And it is considered to be a story in part of the larger story of God's people. And its inclusion in this grand story must mean one thing, that this is more than just a story with a moral lesson thrown into the picture. It's ultimately God's story of how he is working through his people and how he is working through his promises. And so we are calling this series, The Gospel from Famine, to harvest. Because ultimately, Ruth is a book discovering the good news of Christ in both times of unspeakable difficulty and times of joyous abundance. It's about seeing ultimately God's faithfulness, (coughs) His kindness, His sovereign hand, working in both the absolute tragedies and the things that we celebrate most in life. And because of that, we will see Christ. Most clearly, throughout all of this, because this is the source of joy in both of these seasons. But today we've got to talk about famine, because that's where our story begins. So we're going to talk about three ways the Lord acts in the famine one, uh, God sees our brokenness in the famine, two, God brings us community in our famine, and three, God brings us Christ in the famine. So, let's begin with first one and talk about how the way that God acts in the famine. God sees our brokenness in the famine, I should say. Um, so, uh, verse one opens up the story in a way that every great story opens up with. It starts by displaying the great enemy of the story, which is famine. In the time when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, if you've ever read the book of Judges in Scripture, you will know that this period of time in the history of Israel isn't exactly a great time to be an Israelite. You see, during the time of Judges, the people of God were going through these cycles of sin, destroying themselves again and again to the point where where God has to redeem them. And then, as soon as God redeems them, they go right back into the same sin that would destroy them again, and then they would just repeat this over and over and over again. So, so, already the time of judges isn't exactly a wonderful time to live in, but then you have a famine. Now, uh, food scarcity isn't as big of a problem in America as it is in the rest of the world, uh, although it, it still is a problem, but for most of us, most of us, we don't have an exact experience of what it means to live in the textbook definition. Of a famine. According to the International Rescue Committee, famines are devastating cultural events. They destroy future generations of children because children are often the greatest affected by famine in development and malnutrition. Famines fuel violence and instability, and they become catalysts for conflict and terrorism. Famines destroy families. And in many cases, uprooting them and causing them to seek refuge in dangerous conditions. And this is no more truer for a man from Bethlehem named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. Now, how has this famine revealed their brokenness? Let's examine some of the poignant irony in this great story. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread a city that was designed to demonstrate abundance in the title of its name. It's like going to Waffle House and hearing that there are no waffles, all right? That's that's exactly what kind of is happening right now. It's a huge embarrassment to the people of God. Not only that, Elimelech is a name that means my God is king. And where is my God is king heading to? He's heading to Moab the enemy nation, the enemy of the Israelites. So there's nothing that demonstrates more that your God isn't king than if you're running away from your nation and seeking refuge in enemy territory. So Elimelech and Naomi head over to Moab to escape a famine of food, and what do they encounter? Well, they encounter a famine of a different kind. The author of Roots glides through this period of time that they are in Moab, but one thing is incredibly clear, this time is a famine of more than just food, but of other trauma and difficulty as well. They name their kids Malon and Kilion, names that are literally akin to the names Sickness and Wasting Accordingly. Okay? So that should tell you a lot of the parents' view of what life is currently in life right now and what difficulties they faced before living as refugees in a foreign land. Not only that, but when they arrive, Elimelech, my God is king, dies. Elimelech passes away and the familial famine begins. There seems to be a glimmer of hope for Malon and Chilion when they take Moabite wives named Orpah and Ruth respectively. Suddenly it might seem as though Naomi, who some might argue is the central character of the book of Ruth, it seems so as though as my Naomi might have a harvest to believe in after all, of potentially obtaining and building a life, economic prosperity in grave circumstances, but you see, it's just another setup of a different kind of famine. Now, uh, I want to be clear in our modern context and I want to be sensitive, uh, especially to those who... Who are struggling uh, with this. Uh, uh, childlessness is not brokenness in and of itself. But in the day and age of the ancient Near East where the value of the family is determined, determinative of your economic and societal prosperity, the secularism of that day claims that the only value you have is the lineage of one of sons. This would have been seen as a time as a death blow because you see Orpha and Ruth for 10 years. 240 months of collectively and waiting and hoping are barren. Why does the book of Ruth start this way? The famines presented here represent some of the most difficult grief of life that we will all experience. The loss of a loved one, the feeling of being uprooted and being in an unfamiliar territory, the experience that you believe that that God was supposed to be there. And yet he isn't showing up. The feeling of life and its purpose being taken away from you, these are the things that Ruth lays front and center before us to remind us that the famine is real. But God acknowledges it. What's even more amazing is that God is acknowledging their suffering even when the faith of this family is in serious question. Elimelech leaving Israel is a huge indictment on his trust that he has in God. And yet, even still, throughout all of that, though the famine reveals the brokenness, God sees us. God acknowledges our story, even those struggling with faith in God himself. And God not only just sees them, God places their story in the center of, of the narrative. What does this mean? Consider this. In a day and age where Ruth, Naomi, and Orpha would have been considered unseen, dead, on the very margins of the world, where their pain would have left them ostracized without hope and without anything to cling to, God acknowledges their struggle. God is near to them. He doesn't abandon them in their state. Instead, he highlights their story. So what does this mean for you? Whatever famine you are going through right now, you are not invisible to God. Your struggle, your scarcity, all the ways that you think you lack in your life, all of your insecurities, all the doubts, the long term, the fear of what may be right in front of you, the Lord is reminding you through Naomi and Ruth and Orpha that you are seen by God. God knows your brokenness. And you are still in the midst of God's story. God is not done with you yet. You see, the famine is just the beginning of God's work. It doesn't represent the end of your story now. Uh, last week, uh, I got an opportunity, and some of us uh, from our church got an opportunity to head into Baltimore uh, to, to work on uh, this building called the Salaam Center. Uh, now, this was started by a group of, of Christians in the Middle East who immigrated here into the states. And what they were finding was that Middle Eastern refugees had a, a really hard time navigating uh, just the complexity of what it means to be a refugee. The, the forms, immigration, economics, um, there's people in Baltimore who are preying upon uh, the people in this situation. Uh, stealing from them, getting them into legal trouble. And so uh, a group of Christians uh, with a heart for the refugee, a heart to help them see that God is not done with them yet in their famine, uh, began the Salaam Center. And what what was amazing as, as we got to sort of just work on the demolition and the construction of this building is that these refugees don't know that all of these churches, all of these individuals are supporting and building this place up so that they may know that God sees them. Uh, the refugees right now, maybe all that they know before they even arrive is the famine. And yet, in this moment, the church is preparing itself to say to these individuals, we not only see you, we see your struggle, we're not going to turn away from it. But we want to see you know the love of Christ and the love of his church. And so the tangible ways in which God sees our brokenness leads not to just him seeing acknowledging it, but doing something about it. Friends, though the famine reveals brokenness, know, know that God is working in the midst of it. The second thing that God brings to us in this passage is that God brings to us community in the famine. Naomi recognizes now that the country of Moab has nothing left for her. She needs to... So she packs up and makes her way back to the land of Judah with Orpha and Ruth, when all of a sudden, as she's traveling with her daughters-in-law, a realization hits her. You see, even though Orpha and Ruth have become such close family to her, Even though they are the only companionship she has, Naomi recognizes several realities all happening at the same time. Number one, she would be bringing back two Moabite women back into Israel. The consequences surrounding the life of Orpha and Ruth would be devastating. Two immigrant enemy Moabites coming into the land of Israel with no job prospects, no home, left to defend themselves in a society where protections on women were incredibly thin. And by having Orpah and Ruth remain with her, she would be, in essence, be asking them to come and die. Naomi can't bring herself to do this. And so as she comes to this realization on the road to Jerusalem, Naomi's concern for her daughters-in-laws reveals her desires to keep them safe. So you see, even in this moment of tragedy, we see Naomi's character. She has great compassion despite all that she's gone through. Tragedy brings out the best of us. Number two, the only societal convention that would help Orpha and Ruth at the time and age is that they must head back to their homeland and that Naomi must be alone. Naomi believes that the best thing for him, sacrificially and boldly and courageously as it is for her to say this, the best thing for them is to consider Naomi dead and to leave her to fend for herself. Number three, Naomi recognizes her powerlessness in the situation. You to act. She cannot see a way where bringing these two women would be a benefit to anybody. She stands in the difficulty of a culture that would ignore her plight as a widow and would see her as on the fringes of poverty forever. Naomi was walking from a lifetime of famine in Moab, And all she sees in front of her is now a lifetime of famine in Israel. So Naomi's conclusion would be a conclusion that maybe all of us would reach. Let's send these women off with a blessing. She says this, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal, and here's the word, has said with you. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That word for kindly, said is, is the beautiful word that will carry us through the rest of this book. You see, the word for kindness here, it's, it's a hard-to-translate phrase. It's more than just mere compassion. It's more than just mere sympathy or empathy. It, it's the kind of kindness, you see, in said that leads you to do something about it. It's the kind of compassion to compel you to act because of the way that kindness has changed you. This was a formal blessing that was given to the Hebrew people. One that, that, that had all of these relational obligations and duties. Naomi was longing to have these daughters-in-law who risked their lives to even travel with her up to this point to receive the full kindness of the Lord that Naomi believed would not be with her. So here again, we see another window into how the famine has affected Naomi. She does not view herself worthy of companionship. She believes that the end game for her is to go out. You see, it's both two things. It's both an act of incredible courage, but it's also an act of self-condemnation. She longs for others to live, but she longs for herself to die. You see, Naomi believes the lie that her circumstances dictates the loss of community. But the Lord persists again and again in this passage. You see, the first time that Naomi tells them to leave, they weep with Naomi, they stay with her, but they have no intention of leaving her. They see their mother-in-law whom they have been released from all obligation, and yet they still cling to her and say, we will weep with you, we will mourn with you, we will endure the death that you imagine in yourself experiencing. In our times of famine, the Lord brings to us community. Many of you might be familiar with the story of Sam Albury, a pastor who has committed himself to celibacy. Uh, to be obedient to God's uh, sexual ethic in his life. Uh, He's a pastor, he's a writer, he is one who has thought very deeply on the topic of singleness and familylessness. And he wrote what I believe to be the single most helpful book regarding those who feel like as though the famine in their life means that they will never have a family or never have a community It's this book called Seven Myths About Singleness, and in one of these chapters, he talks about breaking the myth that singleness means having no family. He reminds us in the story where Peter complains to Jesus that they have left everything to follow him, and Sam Alberry writes this, Uh, if we can have this quote up on the screen. However much family we lose in the course of following Christ, Jesus is saying, even in this life, it will be worth it. Following him means an abundance of spiritual family. Nature might have given us one father or mother, but the gospel gives us far more. Those who would otherwise be alone are grafted into the community life of his people. When God draws people to himself, he draws them to one another as well. The people of Jesus Christ are to be family. You see, the self-sufficient nuclear family is not a concept we see in the Bible. Instead, we see that our spiritual family needs our biological family, and our biological family needs our and mothers. Whatever you might be going through, know that the church has many names. Uh, we call ourselves the body of Christ, we call ourselves the bride of Christ, but, but maybe most importantly, we call this community the household of God. Whatever famines you hold, whatever you think you deserve in this life, maybe like Naomi, you have brought yourself into self-condemnation. No matter who you try to push away, or even how much you blame God for the circumstances, God is providing for you community in the famine. You are not alone. One of the great joys I get to hear about what is happening in City of Hope is how you are all being Orpas and Ruths to one another. How you have carried each other through difficult seasons, through holidays when uh, you're dealing and struggling with loneliness and how the church steps in to not just provide a meal, but friendship. Through invitations and care, uh, through helping each other through difficult seasons. To quote one writer, the gospel comes with a house key. And you all remind us of that each and every single time together. And in doing so, you all strengthen all of us in our struggles, in our famines. But what about the challenge for the, wall, for the people outside the walls of this church? Uh, this is a challenge that I've brought to our leadership and it's a challenge I wanna to make to this church today. How can our church consider long reach, Community Center? It's workers at Stonehouse here whom we rent the building from, the families and neighborhoods that surround this 4,500 area that we like to call Longreach Village Center, how do we demonstrate to them that they are not alone? How can God bring community to them? How can the church be a benefit not to just those within its walls but those outside of it? How can the gospel of Jesus Christ lead us to a said? kindness that demonstrates that we have been changed by the love of christ and are compelled to do the same for those around us and that leads me to the last point you see god doesn't just see our brokenness in the famine god doesn't just bring us community but god sends christ into the famine what is stunning about the ending of our passage here today is the way in which naomi believes that god has completely left her after the first refusal to leave Naomi, Naomi persists in her demand that Orpha and Ruth leave. So Naomi gets a little bit cruel here. She lays out the scenarios that she could think in her mind where they could be released from the suffering that would endure from staying with Naomi. The belief that the only way that Ruth and Orpha could remarry if Naomi was to bear children, that men would grow up and that they would remarry those born children into her family. Now the ridiculousness of this situation demands that Ruth and Orpha look into the practicality of wanting to stay with Naomi's family according to what we would call Leverite law back in the Old Testament. uh, Ruth and Orpha would have to assume that someone wants want to marry someone who is jobless, landless, familyless, and that then Naomi would then be able to convince those two sons for them after they are grown to remarry just to remain In an official legal system and ownership of economic property. It's just not practice his displeasure from his crushing hand that made her bitter. Surely this could not be the blessed life. Surely this couldn't be that God is actually with her. Ruth here does something truly remarkable. Ruth stays. Ruth chooses to remain with Naomi. What in the world would compel her to do such a thing. Here now we, we come to the first true and real revelation on the character of Ruth that needs a little bit of unpacking. We'll get to her heroic speech next week, but first things first, let's start with Ruth's name. If you haven't caught, names are very, very important in the book of Ruth. The meaning of Ruth is friend or companion. It is a deep understanding of the kind of ideal friend that we would all want in our life that is always present there when we need them the most. Staying when everyone else leaves. A friend that sticks closer than a brother or sister. So there's our first indication of something going on here with Ruth. And then you wonder, by the way, about the positioning of the book of Ruth in Scripture itself. Did you know in the Masoretic texts of the Hebrew Bibles, Ruth is not positioned after the book of Judges? wisdom. Ruth is designed to demonstrate demonstrate that the woman of great wisdom is her. Moabite, the ideal friend, the ideal woman, the woman who personifies the Hesed of God in a way that takes the famine and begins to turn it into a harvest. You see, Ruth is positioned to be a woman par excellence, And you got to think about death, foregoing the benefits and treasures of what she could have taken all for the sake of the one who is forsaken, at least in Naomi's eyes, by God. And Ruth becomes her friend. Ruth adopts her into a spiritual family in the faith so that Naomi may not be alone. And Ruth takes on her famine on her. You you see, it should be completely obvious to now who this is referring to. Ruth is a picture of Christ. And the book of Ruth is a picture of the salvation that we have in Jesus. Ruth is modeling the work of what Christ would do on earth. The Christ that would never leave us and our forsake us, no matter how much we try to push him away. The Christ who looks and enters into our brokenness, who rather than walks right by us, He heals the blind, the deaf, the leper, those whom famine have been all that they've ever known. Christ experienced the famine on behalf of us. Jesus' life was filled with scarcity of every kind. The loss of physical family, the loss of spiritual family, sufferings beyond belief, no greater than the suffering of the cross. Christ experiences the forsaking of the Lord on our behalf to show us the Hesed that would lead him to willingly give up his life so that we might live. Christ does not allow us to convince him that we don't need him. That it's too impractical for God to love us. That we're too somehow messed up and broken for God to display his kindness. Instead, Christ gives us His harvest, His abundance, His life that we could have never have earned and could have never deserved on our own. Christ looks at the most neglected in our world today, the refugee, the orphan, the widow, and features them prominently in His ministry and centers their stories. Christ takes a look at all of us does the same. Friends, this is the gospel of Ruth. The famine is not the end of your story. It is simply just the beginning. And as we dive into this more, I pray that you would know that God sees your brokenness. He brings you community. And most of all, he gives you Jesus. Let's pray together.